Welcome to the Together for Good podcast brought to you by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. Our episode today is a Bible study. It's a Bible study based on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the prologue to John's gospel, and it's also a, a passage of scripture we read a lot during the Christmas season. It's usually the reading assigned for Christmas Day worship services. So I thought it would be appropriate to put out a podcast just diving deep into these words of John here on Christmas Day. Um, please, uh, one just word, if you enjoy the podcast, tell other people about it. We're really excited about the traction we're gaining and, and would love to continue to grow this and um, get these episodes out there to other people. So if you think of it, go to the iTunes store and leave a review or a comment that really helps or just tell some family and friends. Um, about the podcast to see uh, if they might be willing to listen and share it as well. Without further ado, though, we are now moving into a Bible study on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. All right, so our last podcast was one of those prayer and study offerings, and we looked at that famous Christmas passage from John chapter 1. We looked at just a small portion of it. And I was thinking about it and realizing I could do a whole Bible study on John's prologue, which is John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, that there's just so much good stuff in here. And why not, uh, right? Like a perfect thing to be meditating on and learning about in this Christmas season. So I'm sure that some of the small points that we drew out in that last podcast, the prayer and study podcast, uh, some of those are going to come up again, but there's just so much more to break down. So I think this is totally worthwhile. Um, and yeah, just a nice way to consider the promises of God to us uh, in this Christmas season. So yes, we are looking at John chapter 1, and we're going to be going verses 1 through 18. Just a little bit of uh, a, a, a prologue of my own <laughs> before we look at John's prologue to his gospel. Um, the gospel of John is more than likely the, the gospel that was written the latest, maybe as far out as 200 years after the life of Jesus. A lot of people think maybe more closer to around the year 100. Um, the, I, the, the reason for that, too, part of why scholars believe it, is that John's gospel is the most theological. John does a lot of reporting of events, but John also clearly it, it has been thinking about what these events mean and the theological significance of them. And so a lot of scholars say, like, yeah, it's kind of clear that the stories of Jesus have been processed for a while. They've been tossed around in the community, and people have different ideas about the significance and the implications of what they've learned about Jesus. And John seems to draw that out, right? Like, the, there just is this depth of theological thought to John's gospel that you don't see in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So that's just important to keep in mind. And because the prologue itself really exemplifies this deep theological processing that I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, John begins with what scholars call a prologue. He doesn't get into the exact um, events right away. It's this almost poetic writing that is talking about a lot of the little pieces of who Jesus is and Jesus' significance. So, so let's hop right into it. John chapter 1 
and we're just going to go verse by verse like we always do. It, John chapter 1, verse 1 begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whew, all right, there's a lot here already. <laughs> um, and, oh, and I should add verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So, you, like I was saying, it's poetic in a lot of ways. You can hear this cadence to the writing in the first two verses. It's the stepping stone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Clearly, John is writing in such a way so as to emulate the way that the book of Genesis begins. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. John is using the exact same language to begin his gospel. And that's a theological claim. John is saying that just as God began creation so long ago, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is a new beginning. N new life is beginning. Something brand new is happening and breaking into creation. And John goes even further with that by talking about the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It was in the beginning with God. It's a very strange title, but it's really important. Um, the Greek term is logos. And so don't just think about it as like word, lowercase. If you look in your Bible, more than likely word is capitalized. And what John is saying is, th th this term logos, I should say, this term logos, a good way to think about it is to think about it in terms of the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God was present since the beginning of creation. The wisdom of God was there in the beginning when creation began. And what John is saying is that the wisdom of God, we'll get to this later, is breaking into the world in a real, tangible, physical way. But what we also need to kind of point out a couple of other like really interesting pieces to this title. The way, th th this cadence, this rhythm that I've already kind of touched on for the way that these first two verses are written, some scholars wonder if this is um, some sort of Christian hymn. A as I said, John is probably the latest gospel written, and so there were likely a decent number of Christian communities <coughs> Excuse me, and churches around at that time. And so if there's a bunch of different communities around, they probably have their own hymnody, right? Their own worship services. And so here's the thing about hymns. M music tends to be an, a very emotional experience. Th there's something even mystical and spiritual about music in the way that it can connect us and, and bring us to a different space. Music isn't always clear and logical. There's just something more that happens when a beautiful song sweeps you away. And that's part of what John is trying to do in the way that he begins his gospel here, right? Jesus is this mystical, spiritual, cosmic, character. There's something beyond and different about Jesus, right? Jesus wasn't just human. He was fully human and fully divine. That's so hard to encapsulate and articulate, and yet that's kind of what John is hinting at in this way of also beginning with a poem, beginning with words of a hymn. And again, back to this whole idea of the wisdom of God, 
that also connects with this. The, the, the wisdom of God is something that we as humans can never fully understand. There's something just bigger and more beyond to God's grand plan for all of creation. And that wisdom of God, what's really cool to look at is, is when John articulates it in this way that the, that the word, the logos, the wisdom of God has been present since the very beginning of creation. And then you look through the Old Testament at all the ways that the word of God, the logos of God shows up and is present, right? Keep in mind that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks creation into existence. The word of God comes forth and creation begins. So we've got right this logo somehow present in the act of creation. But, but it goes further than that. God speaks the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. God speaks through the prophets. The wisdom of God is this thread that weaves all through the Old Testament. It starts at creation, but it's present in so many different ways. And the theological point that John is trying to make is that, yeah, that is Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is the physical manifestation of the word of God, the logos, the wisdom of God. And this is really John's central claim throughout his entire gospel. When you hear or see Jesus, you are hearing and seeing God. Jesus is this temporal being who only existed for a short period of time, but Jesus is the physical manifestation of the everlasting, eternal God. Whew, I told you there was a lot in those first two verses. That stuff's good. All right, moving on to verse three, which is gonna just kind of re-emphasize a lot of the points I made. Verse 3 says, All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being, and we'll go on to verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. So in that verse 3, just starting with that, exactly the point I've been trying to make. John is emphasizing the, the unity of all creation. Everything was made through the word. Nothing was made without the Logos, the Word, the wisdom of God, which is a really incredible thing to think about. You know, like, we're not always smart people. I know I'm not. But to, to say that the wisdom of God dwells within every person, that's what John's telling us here. That somewhere deep down, we have this mystical, spiritual essence to us that can never be denied. There's something incredible about that. And John goes a little further now in verse 4, like I said. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Again, there are real connections here to the creation story back in Genesis. Remember that light is the first thing that begins creation. God spoke and said, let there be light. And when that word of God came forth, there was light. Light came into being through the word of God. And John is making that connection again here for us. The life that Jesus reveals is a source of light for all people. It's intended for all people. It has creative potential for all 
people. And light is a big theme throughout John's gospel. It shows up again and again and again. The John's gospel where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, um, all that good stuff. Let your light so shine before others. You get the idea. All right. Now, looking ahead to verse 5, this is that famous line we've heard so many times. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There's a lot of evil forces as well being mentioned in John's gospel, and John's just saying here that the evil forces have never been victorious over the Word's message of light. So the Word's message has been consistent throughout all of creation. Once again, John is kind of looking at this big historical grand sweep of everything going on and pointing out the fact that the Word of God, the wisdom of God, has always won out. Yes, darkness and evil forces have gained traction at times, but they never overcome the light. Now, moving on to the the this the prologue's going to shift a little bit. And it's interesting because a lot of times we this this section right here seems very out of place, right? Because we've got this like beautiful poetic first five verses like I said that seems to be maybe words of a hymn or something like that. And then we get this in verse 6. There was a man <laughs> sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. Okay, so in this passage, um, he's talking about a guy named John, right? There was a man who was sent. His name was John. Uh, and this is John the Baptist. But it is interesting that John, the gospel writer, doesn't use that title, doesn't use that distinction, just calls him John. But scholars believe that's probably very intentional. There was a lot of debate in the early Christian church and, you know, during Jesus's time over whether or not John the Baptist was actually the Messiah. And it's, it's interesting too, right? Like when Jesus comes and asks John to baptize him, a lot of people saw that as Jesus submitting to John the Baptist's authority, right? Putting himself below John the Baptist, which further emboldens this argument that, wait, wait a second, maybe John the Baptist was the Messiah. But John, the gospel writer here, is kind of inserting this passage just to, to make very clear where he stands on that. Now, there was a man named John. And that's it, right? Like, not John the Baptist, not some guy with a lofty title. He was just John, okay? And he was just a man. And he was not the light. He came to testify to the light, but he was not it. So it's really John the Gospel writer making a very clear claim that he, where he stands on the order of operation here. <laughs> and, um, and furthermore... The prologue is shifting, right? As I said, the first five verses is this beautiful, poetic, like, hymn, song, something. And now it shifts to a very, like, play-by-play -play statement. There was this guy sent from God named John. But this is intentional. This is part of John the Gospel writer's design. The cosmic, mystical world is being made flesh. And so all of this, like, big, lofty, beautiful, poetic stuff that's really hard to describe and articulate, it has a very real-world application. 
And so John's prologue shifts in and out from these like hymn poetic language back into the temporal articulation of what was happening. The eternal is entering our temporal existence. That's part of what John wants us to see and understand here. So now we get this last line of this middle section. It says in verse 9, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And now this is like a transition verse from John the Baptist back to information about the word. Kind of re-emphasizing that point I was just making. It's creating this interweaving and connection between the historical and the eternal. And I just note too exactly what's said here in verse 9. This light that enlivens everyone. It's that same point that we see again. That the word is going to teach people how to live. I love this line. The light that enlivens everyone. The wisdom of God made flesh. The logos, the word. That's part of John's point too. John, the gospel writer, wants us to see that Jesus came to teach us how to live. The, the wisdom of God made flesh came into the world so that we would understand the best way to live this life that God has given to us. That's part of his point in verse 9. The light which enlivens everyone is coming into the world. I, I should pause too. I, I have, I've highlighted this a lot, but haven't said it explicitly. John's gospel also is very focused on um, the fact that Jesus is for everybody, that it's not a, a limited audience, right? L this, this word that enlivens everyone, this light that enlivens everyone, all creation came into being through him. You see this a lot. Um, and you write John's gospel is also where we get the famous verse that everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, and again, just hearkening back, this is part of why um, part of the understanding that this is probably one of the later written Gospels. Um, at that time, Christianity had spread to a variety of places throughout the world, and yet there was still struggle about saying, like, wait a second, is Jesus just for the Jewish audience? And so John, the Gospel writer, is really trying to make clear, no, 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 this Gospel message is for the whole world. It's not just limited to a small audience. Um, and that would have been an important point for him to emphasize at that time. All right, jumping back to it, we're now into the, the third section of this prologue. And like I said, we got that interweaving taking place. And so, so just listen to this and notice how we're shifting back now into, into that cadence, into that poetic, mystical style that we saw at the beginning. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. Okay, so a couple points being re-emphasized here. That cadence that I'm talking about. He was in the world, the world created through him, yet the world did not know him. And it's kind of the same language all the way back as what we saw in verse 3. Okay, things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. Again, the cadence, the repetition, the same language, and the emphasis on the world. <laughs> this came to the world, and the world was created through him. 
As I said way back in the beginning, right? Like when God speaks, the word comes forth from God. The wisdom of God is spoken and creation comes into existence. And John is making that same point for us here in verse 10. But in verse 10, while it's so similar to verse 3, we do get a new point. That through the word, that though the word, that though the word created the world, creation did not always see or connect with their creator. So it's talking about how the wisdom of God lives within everyone, and yet we can deny that sometimes, can't we? We can ignore it or, or go a different way. There's this sense of freedom and personal decision that seems to kind of play right into what John is telling us. Verse 11 has two meanings here when he says his own. I want to make sure I mention that. The world that was created, but also the people of Israel is part of what John is referencing with his own. He's kind of making reference to the fact that the um, the people of Israel often were unfaithful <laughs> and that though the wisdom, the logos of God was continually coming to them, they often didn't recognize it, right? They often turned away from the law of Moses or from the heedings of the prophets. And John's kind of drawing that all out here. Whew, all right. This is dense stuff, but it's really good, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> Moving on to verse 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. This is a major theme in John's gospel, and we'll pick up on it uh, later in this, in per later in his gospel, in particular in the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in chapter 3. So if you wanted to read more about where John's going with all this, read John chapter 3, and there's, you'll see some really interesting overlap here. Um, in that, you know, ch John chapter 3, Nicodemus and Jesus talk about the importance of being born from above. What this means, right, Jesus is saying that we must discover a new way of life through Jesus' teachings, right? Through the wisdom of God made flesh, we are learning how to live the way God hopes that we would live. We're learning a new way. And, and notice in these verses that we just read, the emphasis on rejection and acceptance. This is a theme of John and a larger theological point. We can either accept or reject the wisdom of God, just like the Israelites did. They often rejected the wisdom of God. Um, and, and it's what John's saying too is like that this is happening again, right? That there's Jesus who is trying to bring us and show us the wisdom of God by becoming flesh. And if we accept it, there's new life in that experience. And so you can also see how this would be a really important point for an early Christian community to say like, yeah, in following Jesus, you're going to learn a whole new way to live. And, and there's a new way of life that's beautiful and vibrant and connected to the wisdom of God in that experience. Okay, but now verse 14, this is an important one. Um, I've, I've, I've made reference to it a whole bunch, um, but John hasn't actually said it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the moment where it all comes together. The word 
becomes flesh. The eternal word of God moves in to a historical moment. So this, um, the word dwelling, this is so cool. The word dwelling that John uses here, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, or how did we read it here? The word became flesh and lived among us. The Greek word there is, is actually the Greek word for tabernacle, right? So, so the way that this should be translated, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. <laughs> you can see why they chose something else. But reminder, the tabernacle was where the Holy of Holies was housed, right? Back in Judaism, they had the tabernacle, and that's where the Holy of Holies was housed, and only certain people could go in there. And the idea of the Holy of Holies is it actually was this place where heaven and earth overlapped, where God was most present, where God's glory could be glimpsed by humans. And what John is saying here is that this word of God that's done all of these things throughout all of creation, it became flesh. That Jesus is where heaven and earth overlap. Where heaven and earth meet again. Where the world, where humans can glimpse the glory of God. And so that's all the point that John's going to be trying to make in his gospel throughout. I think that that part is so cool. Um, and you, you know, right? You could preach a thousand sermons on just that idea of the overlap. All right. Um, coming to a close here, verse 15, John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, again, we jump back to John the Baptist. And notice again, they, John the Gospel writer doesn't call him John the Baptist, doesn't give him a title, just calls him John. And he's saying that John, is the, John the Baptist is the first to point to the reality of Jesus. A historical fact that many would have known about in those days. Yeah, there was this guy, John the Baptist, who said that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, and, and furthermore, like, John, the gospel writer now then, like, makes that point and then goes a little further, right? Like, verse 15 is so funny because it's this parenthetical phrase. It's literally in parentheses if you have the NRSV. Um, and, and is saying, right, like, John is the one who kind of called this all out. But keep in mind, again, this is John, the gospel writer's chance to make his point that John the Baptist isn't the Messiah. He was the one who pointed to the Messiah. But then furthermore, in verses 16 and 17, the word that was provide that has provided the law of Moses and the promises of Jesus, this is the logos. Like I've been saying all along, John, the gospel writer, is helping us make that connection and is saying that in this there is grace upon grace. That in and and as he said earlier, right, grace upon grace and also the the power to become children of God. All of this, right? Like Heeding the attention to the wisdom of God allows us the opportunity to live as children of God, to live the most full, complete way of life, the way that God hopes and intends us to live. That's grace upon grace, isn't it, right? Like, that's just blessing upon blessing. Uh, we can hardly fully understand. <laughs> but then this last verse, uh, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, 
who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So John, is, John, the gospel writer, is circling back to the initial point that Jesus, the word made flesh, is God. That was his point in verse 1 at the very beginning of this prologue, prologue, and that's how he concludes it, too. And he draws this careful connection um, between father and son. That's going to be a big theme throughout his gospel and, and saying that, right, like the son is close to the father's heart and is the one who is making God known. So, wow. Yeah, as you can see, there's so much to break down here, um, but it's incredible and it's beautiful and it's such an appropriate message for Christmas. Um, think about, right, Jesus being born as a little baby in a stable, but what John's talking about in this whole prologue is just the importance of the incarnation. The incarnation is that fancy word we use to talk about God becoming human, the word becoming flesh. And just seeing the importance of, of recognizing um, and, and owning the fact that, yeah, the the mystical and the spiritual and the eternal enters the temporal world that we know. That these aren't just big ideas that someone came up with, but these ideas were an actual physical human being, a historical figure that we can point to and, and know and, and love and trust. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about with it, but um, we've gone on for quite a while. This is one of our longer Bible studies because that's just the way John's gospel is. It's super dense. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and that you are comforted and um, filled with joy over the beauty of the incarnation promise. Stay in peace, everyone.